Welcome to episode nine of Everything EOS. I'm Zach Gall, an ICO data analyst at ICO Alert, the trusted ICO discovery platform. Visit ICOalert.com, the most complete calendar of all active and upcoming ICOs to discover the latest projects and opportunities like EOS IO. And I'm here today with the founder of ICO Alert and CEO of Cypherglass, a block producer candidate, Rob Finch. Thanks for having me. And thank you all for joining us for another episode of Everything EOS. We're here on episode nine now, and we have a lot of exciting updates today that we'll talk about in just a sec. Uh, before we get started, I wanted to say that we do appreciate the feedback and comments that we get about the show. Um, we hope you all continue to share that feedback in the comments on YouTube, SoundCloud, Spotify, wherever you're listening to the podcast. Uh, before we get started, I do need to let everybody know that this podcast is not to be construed as legal professional tax investment or any other kind of advice. We're just two people that are passionate about EOS, and we both do hold EOS tokens. Now, if you enjoyed the show, Show, please let us know by liking, subscribing, or following the podcast wherever you're listening today. And on today's podcast, we're going to be detailing the latest news and announcements around EOS IO, including the current state of the mainnet launch, some upcoming events, and speculation around what the rest of the year is going to look like for EOS IO. All right, big big week. Uh, we did yeah. the snapshot. Uh, tokens are all frozen and locked up outside yep. of the centralized uh, trading on on some exchanges. Um, so what's what's going on with, with the mainnet launch, Rob? So the mainnet launch right now is in kind of a, a testing and validation period. So the snapshot, which is basically a list of everybody's ERC-20 tokens on Ethereum, it's basically a list of everybody's accounts that says, hey, we're going to give you these tokens on the mainnet. That has already been validated. So we know for sure that the snapshot is accurate. Um, a bunch of different block producers have basically matched up every single Ethereum address with every single EOS address. And there, there's sure some uh, uh, websites where you could actually verify that you registered correctly. Yeah. So if you go to EOS authority.com you can actually plug in your address make sure you're in the snapshot make sure you're all good to and go. if you left your tokens on an exchange like binance or bitfinex you're fine you could trade it currently but it's all being done on like their centralized databases yeah so let's let's talk about that for a sec there are a lot of people confused like oh how is the erc20 token still trading if the tokens are frozen in the smart contract and the, that token is not actually trading what's happening is all of these centralized exchanges have a centralized database so they're just trading a number in their database that corresponds to the future eos token and it, it's similar to how how trading's always done so this is the difference between a decent centralized exchange and a centralized exchange. Mm -hmm. So up until today, most people's experience is with a centralized exchange. And what happens is like we all know about like the Bitcoin fees and Ethereum gas fees and all the fees. And that's one of the reasons we really like EOS because of the fee-less transactions. So you think about, I mean, Bitcoin's not as congested as it was earlier in the year. Right. But at one point, a Bitcoin transaction was like 30 bucks. Oh, yeah. So if you were going to do a blockchain swap for every time you trade a Bitcoin between two parties, you'd be transferring it between two wallets, there'd be a $30 fee on top of whatever the exchange rate is. Which is insane. So what the exchanges do is they keep... Uh, like a centralized database account of how many tokens each user on their platform actually has. But all of the tokens actually sit in, in one big hot wallet. And they have cold storage w with other holdings too, but they, they have essentially one or several wallets that hold all of the user's tokens. Mm -hmm. um, and, and all of the trading that's actually done on the platform is just in a, in a database. So, yeah. if, so right now it, it's no different. EOS isn't trading any different than it was before. The only difference is you can't deposit or withdraw. Yeah. A good analogy that Ross, uh, one of our new tech guys, is head of tech at Cypherglass. Um, he gave a good analogy, which is like when the stock market closes, you and I can still trade between each other off the books on our own, you know, own internal database. We just can't do it all on the main stock exchange. It's kind of like that. that that's, that's what's that's happening. That's a good analogy. I'm trying to think here of uh, the other thing with the exchanges that I 
had uh, the airdrops. So yeah, so every, everyone's been asking like, where are my airdrops? But they don't realize that most likely their tokens are frozen. So I'm guessing these are the people with their tokens still on the exchanges. Right. Um, and some exchanges will be supporting the airdrops. Some won't. Um, I hope you guys did your research as we've been saying before you put your tokens on that exchange to figure out if they will. But it looks like a lot of them, um, I believe Binance and Bitfinex included, are going to support at least Everpedia, the IQ token. Yeah, I think Everpedia is pretty much a given. Now, I don't know about Kraken. I haven't heard anything about Kraken. Oh, I, I haven't either. I always forget about Kraken. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't give investment advice, but I do tell people I love yes. Yeah. And usually the learning curve of getting into crypto is very difficult. You got to set up the Coinbase account. You got to buy yeah. Ethereum or Bitcoin. You got to sign up for Binance. Transfer, transfer your Bitcoin or Ethereum to Binance. Buy EOS. Yeah, it's ridiculous. Transfer it to your, you got to create the wallet and transfer it to it. But I, I always forget about Kraken. They yeah. could have just signed up on Kraken instead of Coinbase and bought EOS with cash. Yeah, that's very true. And, I didn't think about that. And th that that's, I think, what we're going to see here soon. So Coinbase, everyone's been anticipating more funds being added and if they're going to add new new tokens or, or, or cryptocurrencies, we could expect it to be probably the top 10 or top 20. Right. Um, there's been a lot of index funds that have been making announcements. Um, as a matter of fact, two of the block producing candidates, um, not the candidates themselves, but like kind of the entities behind those operations, have both announced new uh, Asian index funds. Oh, wow. So OKX, mm. um, has, who's an Asian uh, exchange, they announced uh, a top index fund called OK06ETT and also Huobi. Uh, I think they just actually announced today or yesterday, HB10, they're calling it, and that's wow. another index fund. Um, so that's really interesting because what these index funds do are they, they allow uh, traditional um, investments to be made in, into cryptocurrency without having to manage uh, the, on, on a day-to-day -day basis the, the uh, market caps changing. Right. Um, so what we're going to see, everyone's been talking about institutional investors for, I think, like the past two or three, four years yeah. now. And <laughs> There's been, even in 2013, people were like, when are the institutional investors coming when the market cap was like $30 million? And we keep getting closer. Uh, yeah. And I don't know when it's going to happen. No one else probably does either. But the infrastructure, I think, was the bottleneck before. Yeah. The, the the issue of custody absolutely um and we're we're seeing more and more custody solutions coinbase announced theirs yep. um with these decentralized exchanges we're probably going to see more kind of almost like a de centralized custody service. Definitely. Well, and Mike Novogratz had a good point about this, that even once the custody solutions are in place, it's not like everybody's just going to say, oh, let's throw, you know, billions of dollars no. of our trillion dollar fund into this thing. They're going to wait for some other people to test it out, make sure it's still stable, yes. make sure that the returns are good, et cetera, and, and et cetera. That's, that's one of the reasons I think the market has been acting the way it is, mm -hmm. is because if you're an institutional player and, and it's a conglomerate of them, like you want to get in at the absolute lowest price. Right. So they're just kind of taking a back seat and watching this because they could offer that lifeline of support of an influx of money that's going to bring the prices up. But they want to wait until it, it goes down to as low as it can. Um, it reminds me of the recovery from, I think, when we hit $6,000 Bitcoin. It just kept trying to break below 6K, kept yeah. trying, trying, trying. And after like two weeks of going sideways and not being able to break under 6K, it broke upwards. Yeah. And I, I think that's what we're going to see. And yeah. And Sorry. I agree with that. And I think a lot of these index funds are definitely going to favor the coins that already have a, a huge market cap. And I oh, think yeah. it's going to be harder in the future once a lot of these indexes have billions, if not trillions of dollars in them from these massive institutions. It's going to be very hard to break into the top 10, 20, 30, as there's so much money there. So, um, but these, these index funds are really good for just giving people exposure who don't understand it. They just say, hey, give me exposure to a bunch of these cryptos. They'll put it in the top 10 and just kind of go from there. Yeah. The other interesting thing I made a note of is the OKX announcement. 
so OKX and Huobi are both large Chinese or Asian exchanges, and they both just recently announced these index funds. But the funny thing is that the former CEO of OKX, his name's Chris Lee, he just resigned like a week or two ago to, to, to join Huobi. Oh, wow. So it's like, yeah, it's really That's weird. That's interesting. They we're both kind of doing the same thing, and then the CEO just jumps ship. Yeah. So I, I'm curious to see if there's something behind that or if it's just coincidence. It's interesting. OKX has been doing a lot recently. I think we've seen a lot of exchanges kind of investing their billions in profit. OKX has OKX Blockchain Capital, who invested $100 million in a DAP fund for EOS DAPs, and they're not even associated with the EOS VC fund. It's just on their own. They yeah. came out and committed $100 million. That, that's how, you, how, how we're going to build this community, though. Yeah. Um, I, I think one final note on uh, the index funds and what we call institutional investors is to, to give an idea of like, we always hear the term institutional investors, but I, some, some people don't actually know what that entails. And the best analogy, or not an analogy, the best way to describe it is think of like 401ks and pension funds, right? Like think about how much money is being managed by every company in the world that that's just handling 401ks and pension funds. Yeah. And like Rob said, no one's going to jump in and throw all their money into crypto. All we're like I, I think it'd be a huge win if we see like a single digit percent or less of pension funds investing like a half a percent yeah. of their total funds in a crypto index. Well, I think we're getting to the point where, to Novogratz's point, that they would be negligent not to. It's this yeah. new emerging asset class. It's been around for many, many years. You know, the, the returns have been relatively consistent over the years. If you look on a on an annual basis, there's only been one year in 2013 where Bitcoin, for example, was not profitable. So I think they would be negligent to their investors who they're looking out for to not invest in crypto in some way. Mm -hmm. I've, I've read um, examples of different foundations and nonprofits who kind of manage their own funds. Um, and those are some of the first companies or organizations, I should say, getting in on crypto because yeah. they're 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 not huge corporate entities, and they like if one person passionate about crypto was managing the, the funds at this foundation, they were able to to get in on crypto last year and, and just put a small percentage of of the the foundation funds. I, I forget endowment is that what they're called? For, right. For, I mean, there are there's trillions of dollars in endowments to universities and all, yeah. all kinds of different institutions where somebody dies and leaves a hundred million dollars, the next guy dies and leaves a billion dollars, and they invest this yeah, over time. Yeah, it doesn't just sit in the bank. Yeah, it's so invested. It needs invested. to go somewhere. And like like you like Novogratz said, yeah, it would be negligent. Yeah, to not put a, a fraction of a percent. Oh, absolutely. A fraction of a percent of a billion well, dollars is a lot of money. He was even or even of a, of a trillion or ten trillion or a hundred trillion that's yeah. in all these funds. Even he, I think, was saying one to three percent, which I think is pretty reasonable. So we'll and, see what happens. And I guess we keep mentioning Novogratz. Um, for, for anyone not following us week to week, why don't you explain who Mike Novogratz is? Yeah, Mike Novogratz is, he was first kind of famous in the crypto space for buying roughly a million Ether at a dollar. He kind of called that, saw it as this new disruptive platform and, and followed along. Um, recently has started Galaxy Digital, which has an EOSIO ecosystem um, investment fund, which has committed $325 million along with EOSVC to invest in EOS DAP. So he's kind of this big traditional finance institutional guy who is now on the crypto train trying to get the other institutional guys on it and has has been a backer of Ether and now EOS from the very beginning. And the other thing is um, early May, mid-May, uh, he announced a partnership with Bloomberg, Yeah, who everyone knows who freaking Bloomberg is. <laughs> and they're going to launch Bloomberg Galaxy Crypto Index. And that's going to be a top 10 index weighted by market cap. And the index is going to be owned and administered by Bloomberg Index Services Limited, and it's it's co-branded with Galaxy Digital Capital Management. So that that's huge news because that's here in the U.S. Um, that that's going to allow like like we keep talking about these institutions to to get in on these indexes. 
Um, and it's going to be interesting as EOS uh, goes up in market cap. I, I saw um, a weightings example of what this index might look like with a top 10. It had Bitcoin at 30%, Ethereum at 30%. You're, you're telling me earlier that they capped them at 30%? Yeah, they capped the, the top two at 30%. And what's interesting about this index is if you add it all up, we're really at 90-something plus percent once you get through the top five. And I think it's, it could... Part of my speculation for why they've weighted it this way is that the top 10, at least number six through 10, changes relatively frequently now, yeah. especially with the different shuffling. Like, say, Cardano will jump under Stellar, and then the next day it's above Stellar. It's kind of moving around a lot, yeah. but the top five generally are very stable. So I think that's why they've weighted most, like 90 plus percent of it, into the top five, which now, of course, includes EOS. Yeah, and I, since the listeners can't see what I'm seeing. Uh, I'll just go through until EOS. Uh, Ripple's at 14%. Bitcoin Cash is at 10.65. And then they have EOS pegged at 6.11%. Yep. But I, I find that interesting. There, There is a tweet going around. There's something on Telegram of just people looking at coin market cap trading volume. And if you if you come, like we, we think EOS is going to continuously move up. But um, with Bitcoin Cash and Ripple being ahead of it, they're they're ahead in market cap, but if you actually look at trading volume, they're they're getting blown away. Yeah, combined on a daily basis, Ripple and Bitcoin Cash are, are being dominated by EOS alone. EOS oh some, yeah, EOS sometimes on on a on a good day is doing double the trading volume of those two combined. Well, even if you look at Ripple today, I'm looking at Coin Market Cap right now. It's ten a ten thirty a.m. on Wednesday. Um, EOS has is actually a lower volume day, I think, because we're in the middle of this mainnet launch that we'll go back to in, in just a bit. Um, but it's a little over a billion dollars, and Ripple is down at about a quarter billion dollars. So four times more than Ripple in trading volume is, is what EOS has right now. So yeah, let, let's let's get back into some uh, stuff about the mainnet launch because you probably have more information than the yeah. average person because you're you're involved in these conversations and, and and these chats. Why don't you tell us a little bit about the block producer community, how you guys are all communicating, and and kind of how you guys are organizing right now. Yeah, so right now there are two daily calls that happen between all the block producer candidates. As I, I think I mentioned on last week's episode, we've all signed a pledge to launch one mainnet. So we're all working together, even though some of us want to launch the network now, some of us want to mm -hmm. do more testing and wait a, little, a couple more days. Um, we're all working together to make sure that we come to a consensus before we do launch it. But what's happening right now in these meetings, the one in particular that happened about an hour and a half ago um, this morning is security testing. So people have been doing DDoS tests on other block producers, giving us Nessus reports to say, hey, here are the holes in your infrastructure. We fortunately have passed that um, with Flying Colors. We've invested tons of money into infrastructure and um, DDoS protection at Cypherglass, so we should be good there. But now what's going on is just kind of core protocol security testing, making sure there are no what we're calling um, priority zero or priority one bugs. These would be critical bugs that would bring down the network, bring down the whole platform, and, and cause us to kind of relaunch it. If there are priority two, three, or four bugs, those are kind of being left until after launch because they're not critical. They're not going to result in the loss of user funds. Um, but anyway, we're doing these twice daily calls. So this morning was another security call. And now tonight at... Um, I believe it's 1 a.m. UTC or 9 p.m. Eastern, there's another call to basically determine, hey, are we going to go live now? Because from our perspective, there's already a net. Um, it's important to give context for this. There were two different camps kind of trying to launch the mainnet, the Ghostbusters mainnet, which is now EOS Core, and the BIOS boot camp. Uh, and EOS Core. Uh, yeah. That brings back bad memories of yeah, Bitcoin Core. It's a scary name, but I, I think it's in... Uh, they have good intentions. But anyway, both have been trying to launch it in different ways and have recently come together to launch it. So from the, the I think it's the Ghostbusters side, they already have a net that's spun up and ready to go. It has the snapshot that's validated, ready to be injected. They're applying the different security patches that people are um, 
based on the vulnerabilities people are discovering. And it, it's pretty much ready to go. So I think once we come to a majority consensus and say, hey, we've done enough testing. There are no more priority zero or priority one bugs. Let's launch this thing. The mainnet is going to be up very, very quickly after that point. So I'm not exp- Block One's involvement with the announcement is going to be interesting because I, I think they might need to hold back and let someone else make the first major announcement. Who do you anticipate is going to be the voice of that? Will BES go? It's going to be really all of the block producers. So, so all at once. Yeah, all at once we're going to go out and say, hey, this is the EOS mainnet. Here are instructions on how to connect. Here's the wallet you should use. Here's how to vote. Here's the voting portal. And what you should really do is make sure that you have five block producers that you trust. Hopefully Cypherglass is one of those. And you look at our Twitter, you look at our YouTube channel, and, and, and wait for us to make an announcement and confirm it. And uh, to our point that we were talking about last time, it's best to just do nothing and wait. Just kind of be patient, make sure the real mainnet is there, make sure you know the block producer Twitters didn't get hacked and, and mm-hmm. tweet out something fake. But it will be the block producers that announce, hey, the US mainnet is finally live. It's time for you to vote and unlock this chain. Awesome. So once that announcement comes out, that's going to be everyone's signal to go vote? Right. So okay. then once the mainnet is actually live, it's not unlocked. So what that means is that by default, everybody's tokens are going to be staked in a contract. And we need 15% of all token holders, or 150 million tokens, to be voted towards a block producer for the chain to unlock. And then once the chain is unlocked, it's, it functions as a normal chain. Anybody can unstake their tokens. Anybody can send their tokens to an exchange. Um, so really the mainnet launch, once we're done with the security testing and it's actually live, um, the timeline to it being a fully booted chain will depend on the community and how quickly people vote. So I saw some FUD going around in Telegram of uh, a very high percentage of the tokens being held by a, a very limited number of wallets. And it was, it was pointed out that these are exchanges. Yeah, exactly. So it, a couple of these exchanges are running as block producers, so they have every incentive to not do anything corrupt and not vote with other people's tokens, and they've pretty much committed to that much. Right. Um, but what, what do you think of that? If, I, I think I saw up to 50%. I don't know the exact percent of tokens are held by these large wallets. So if those are exchange wallets and we could expect those to not vote, that means we're looking at the other 50% to do this voting? Right. So unless one of those exchanges comes out with a voting portal, say like Bitfinex, who's been developing one, very which is very possible, they could come out with that and say, hey, go ahead and vote and unlock this chain. And they may have enough tokens in Bitfinex alone to unlock it. Last um, week, yeah, I mentioned this because... Um, I, I read it right before we recorded last week. Bitfinex uh, didn't, or the block producing arm of Bitfinex, uh, didn't a Reddit ask me anything. And they said something about a, a voting protocol portal type thing. Oh. And they said it will be ready around seven days. And it's about a week later now. Yeah, we're coming so, up on that. So we that would be incredible if that can get released around or before even. Oh, yeah. Or, or at least announced and then launched around the same time as the mainnet launch announcement because... I'm assuming Bitfinex with, with their margin trading funding and lending mm-hmm. that they're holding a lot more tokens than like a Binance, for instance. Yeah, absolutely. And I think Bitfinex was the first exchange to, to carry EOS, I, I think. Yes, they were. They were the one that, because Bitfinex, for those that don't know, is actually an early investor in Block One, the company that developed EOS. So they've had a strong relationship from the, from the beginning and were the first exchange to trade it after that first five-day period of the ICO before it moved into daily 23-hour mm-hmm. periods. And admittedly, I do have uh, some tokens of my own on Bitfinex just because of wanting to take advantage of some of this volatility whenever it launches, whether it goes up or down. Um, It's just a small percentage of of my tokens, but I, I felt comfortable leaving them there because they are the only exchange that said that they will support any legitimate airdrop. Yeah. So that was one. 
Um, and the other thing was knowing that there might be a voting portal. So my Definitely. tokens are locked within. I could trade them to, with other users on Bitfinex, but they're locked within their system right now. So exactly. I, I couldn't transfer them out if I wanted to. So the only way, way I could vote with those tokens, it's a small percent, would be if this uh, voting portal is, is live yeah. around the mainnet launch. But and I, I would love to see somebody like Bitfinex come out with that voting portal when the mainnet is live, because I think that will just simplify the process for people. Because the, the actual voting process, if you're not in an exchange, is... It's not super complex, but it's relatively complex relative to how it would be on an exchange where you just click a couple buttons. Like you're going to have to import your private key into a wallet you trust, go to a voting portal, link it up with Scatter if you're using that or some other wallet solution and and go from there. And it's, it's going to be a couple different steps. We'll be putting out a video on it on how to vote on the Cypherglass YouTube channel. Um, but it would be very nice for somebody like Bifinex to just make that process easier from the start. So I guess con continuing on uh, beyond the main that launch, like what do you, what do you think is going to be... Um, the most immediate things we see after the mainnet launch? Because I think some people think just because it launches, it's immediately going to have this mainstream acceptance and blow up out, out of, out of on another run or whatever. But really once it launches, th that's when the fun is just getting started, I believe. Oh yeah, absolutely. I, I think a lot of developers on, on other projects or considering a project have had a wait and see approach. Definitely. Like I, I don't, there, there probably were a decent amount of DAP developers. And I know that for a fact, building on the test nets, but I, I think there's also a, an even larger uh, group of developers who are waiting for the mainnet. Oh, absolutely. You want all the features to be available. Yeah. I mean, my personal opinion from a market standpoint is that the market will react very positively uh, yeah. to the mainnet being live and working and confirming your transaction in half a second. Like, that's going to be insane yeah. for people to actually see. Um, so I, I, and just imagine this, when you deposit Ethereum right now on an exchange, for example, and you have to wait for the 30 confirmations, you're usually waiting about five minutes for that to happen, sometimes longer. I hate that. I, With EOS, you get 30 confirmations in 15 seconds. Yeah. Or it's, it's technically irreversible in two confirmations in one second. So imagine sending tokens to an exchange and them instantly being available to trade. That's insane. I, I think that's going to be the first, uh, major besides Bancor, yeah. uh, the first major DAP use case is going to be a decentralized exchange Definitely. that feels like a centralized exchange. So Bitfinex has like the UX UI technology on their current yep. service to make it have, have a good interface because we've all used like crappy exchanges. Like I remember... I haven't used Bitrex in a while, but it used to have like a pretty terrible UI. Oh, and I yeah. think Kraken. Kraken is I horrible. I talked earlier about how I forget about Kraken. I think part of the reason is because their UI is so terrible. Yeah, it really is. So I think that's the number one thing for deciding on what exchange you want to use. Is do they have a good UI? Right. And then if, if it does what you want it to do, and right now a centralized one is the only one that can work with, with the speed, with the level of liquidity on the order books, that makes sense. Yeah. But if a decentralized exchange could come out with... From a user standpoint, you would know no difference in trading, at least, yeah. between a centralized and a decentralized exchange. And the only difference is that you could plug in your ledger or, or, or your EOS wallet into this exchange mm -hmm. and, and be able to trade live. Oh, and, yeah. And it, with with uh, sub-second latency. Yeah, that would be massive. And, and that's going to be the use case that, like, crypto, that's, like, the only use case at this point because a lot of these utility tokens haven't proven their utility yet so it's mm -hmm. all just speculative trading i agree completely i think that's going to be the first like killer dap if we can call it that mm -hmm. on eos whether it's eos finex or Bancor or something else entirely i think there have been a couple other community ones that have yeah. announced but beyond that i think what's going to happen is we're going to see to your point about these people waiting on the sidelines we're going to see a flood of announcements i think yeah. we'll see announcements from block one about hey you know here's our our additional dates for the, the hackathon and where they're going to be. Here are more fund announcements to make up for that other $350 million they haven't allocated yet. Mm -hmm. We're going to see 
uh, DAPs moving from Ethereum to EOS coming out an announcement announcing. We're going to see tons of announcements, and I think it's going to be I, I crazy. Think, so, just being in crypto for as long as like I have, and you've been in much longer, it, it, it's a constant news cycle in, until tokens could reach their actual utility. Whereas EOS IO will be in a unique position where its utility of its token will like it's available from day one be available yeah and they're still sitting on probably a plethora of announcements and partnerships oh, yeah. um because a lot of these partnerships can't be announced until all the ink dries mm-hmm. and that, that was the issue we ran into back in january they couldn't make a big announcement in south korea because it's just nothing yeah. the le- legality of it wasn't finalized yet. well and you can imagine if you're a giant multi-billion dollar fund that's doing a vc partnership with somebody like block one you are probably going to say, you're going to err on the side of caution and say, hey, maybe we should wait until this thing is live before we commit to this partnership. Mm-hmm. So I think there's going to be a lot of that, a lot of DAP developers doing the exact same thing. So the, you mentioned briefly uh, the hackathon. So that's actually right around the corner, yeah. June 9th and 10th. What? That's like, is that next week? Uh, well, today is the 6th that we're recording this. So it's actually this weekend. Wow. It's going to be Saturday and Sunday so, in Hong Kong. I, I mean, I'm assuming we'll have a mainnet announcement before then, but we might we still be in fro- the frozen token Time might not last that long, though. Yeah. If consensus could be reached quickly, then it, it should just... Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's, it's very possible that tonight, as we're recording this Wednesday, so tonight at, at 1 a.m. UTC or 9 p.m. Eastern, that we say, hey, we're ready to go live, no more P0, P1 bugs, and we go live, and then we go through the voting process. There will be... Virtually everyone is going to have to unstake their tokens, whether they vote or not, because the default state of everybody's tokens is staked. So there's going to be a three-day period where you have to wait after the mainnet is live and after the voting happens to actually get your tokens. Um, uh, But once that's done, everything will be unlocked and you'll be good to go. So as far as I I think what to expect after this mainnet launch, I think there's going to be unlimited amounts of excitement like immediately following it. And then I think it, it might die down with like announcements coming out constantly, but not announcements that might get us excited because we yeah. understand the implications of them. But for for your average cryptocurrency investor, like the, the, they're making a mistake by being short sighted and maybe looking into something, the next big thing, but this right. is the next big thing for the rest of our lives. Oh hopefully. yeah. We've been in the pregame warm up, and it's just about to get started with the first inning. I'm, I'm looking forward to uh, what, what's the timeline now on the decentralized file storage, because I think that's mm. a, a critical piece to ESIO actually uh, displacing some of the major competitors today. The last I heard it's still by the end of this year. Um, so I would expect block one has been either on time or ahead of schedule with pretty much all of their software releases thus far. So I would expect that their goal of getting the EOSIO file storage, which is based on IPFS, which is this protocol for decentralized file storage, and the multi-threading implementation, which will just... This thing can already do about 1,500 transactions per second we've seen on our jungle testnet, um, where we're participating. But imagine switching to a multi-threaded implementation and then being able to do 150,000 or even more on a single chain that's not even linked to other chains. I'm excited. So I I think... Um, EOS has been pegged the Ethereum killer yep. for a year now. And a lot of people look at Ethereum as, as the biggest competitor. But you, you're, CypherGlass actually put out a blog post, was it a couple days ago or a week ago? Yeah, I think it was this week. And I, I've thought this for a while because I, I tried to think about like who, who are they trying to displace. Like The crypto market as a whole, combine every single thousands of coins in total market cap, is still relatively small on a, on a global scale compared to some of the large corporations today like Facebook, right. uh, 
Amazon, companies like Microsoft, companies like that. So I think it's being very short-sighted to think that Ethereum's who, who are trying to upend here. I, I think, and, and your blog kind of mentioned this, uh, was all about this, is I think the main competitors of EOS are actually Azure by Microsoft and Amazon Web Services. Yeah. And th those are huge industries. You want to speak about like the comparison of cloud computing and how it compares to EOS? Yeah, I totally agree. So if you think about EOS as this, it, it's really a decentralized cloud computing platform. You could run your website on it. You could run your web app on it. You could run something much more complex like a decentralized Facebook on it. Where are people running all those apps now? Well, it's generally Amazon Web Services, which is how Amazon makes all their money. Um, it says here that they had $17.5 billion in sales in 2017, which was up 43% from their sales in 2016. Um, Azure, Azure? Azure? Azure. Azure. I've never anyway, heard it said. Microsoft Azure, however you say it, is uh, about half that at $8 billion. Um, from Microsoft. So it's it's a massive industry where people are hosting websites and web apps. And I think EOS, because it's an ownership versus a rental model, you know, Amazon, you're paying this monthly or annual fee and you never own it. If you stop paying, your website goes down. I've done like just little small uh, coding projects on AWS before and they charge you for, you pay as you go for what you use. And me, who is someone with no traffic, just messing around on it, I'd get charged like maybe like two bucks a month. Yeah. But I'm not, not even using anything on there really. Yeah. So I can only imagine what, what a, a medium to large company would spend on there. I, I tried looking up estimates and it seemed like a ballpark for like a medium sized business would be spending about a thousand dollars per month on AWS. Yeah. And you times that, um, I, I, I think I read a stat AWS had 1 million customers last year. Whew. And I can I, I would bet also that the average customer is paying way 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 yeah. more than a thousand. The enterprise a level, oh yeah, big corporations on AWS are spending much more. Yeah. So you think on an annual basis they, they could be spending well over six figures. Yep. And that's on on a continuous year to year basis. Yeah. Whereas, um, as EOS becomes more and more talked about and can be seen as a comparable service once the file storage is launched and everything's more scalable and multi-threaded. Mm -hmm. We're going to see these companies saying, wow, we're spending $100,000 upfront on a year-to-year -year basis, and there's this service that's every bit as fast, mm -hmm. but it's actually more secure. And Never goes could, down. We could spend, I don't know, five, I don't want five figures one time and own this storage and bandwidth and never have to pay yeah. another fee again. Well, and the most interesting component about this to me is not just that they can pay once and then run their web app forever on EOS, but it's also that these businesses are basically buying an asset when they do that. So if you imagine a, a business, the value of a business when it's valued is really in the, the collection of their assets and their revenue. And if, if a business puts 100 grand into EOS to run their web app forever, and that grows over time, the mm -hmm. assets of that business, the value of that business is growing because they're hosting on EOS. And I think that's part of where the real estate comparison yeah. ties in. Is it, It's like owning real estate. Yeah, it's you like could, owning the house versus renting the house. Mm -hmm. And we, we, we saw it in, in the last decade, the, the movement from in-house uh, servers and infrastructure at businesses moving oh, yeah. to the cloud. Yep. And the reason they moved to the cloud is because the technology got better, it got faster, distributed systems got better. Yeah. Um, and the next level up from a distributed system is a decentralized system, which is much more difficult. Yeah. But they're also very similar. So, so the main difference between a distributed system like AWS and a decentralized system like EOS, the, the difference is uh, with, with something like AWS, you don't have to worry about bad actors. Right. And th that, that's the main difference is how do you eliminate bad actors on, on your distributed well, system? That's I, what makes it decentralized. I would also argue that Amazon is probably the biggest bad actor on AWS. Yeah. Because so, it's so centralized. And they have back doors to oh, everything. Yeah. yeah. So, like, 
yeah, a backdoor might be good for stopping illegal activity, mm-hmm. but then you got to also think of censorship. So cen- censorship's not always il- something that's illegal that they're putting a stop to. Yeah. Well, and this was a big a big point of the, the article that Ross from our team put out about EOS versus public cloud. You can see it on the Cypherglass Steemit. But a lot of other block producer candidates, um, there are a lot that are buying their own infrastructure like we are and, and making dedicated infrastructure that's truly decentralized. But there are a lot that are hosting on Amazon Web Services or on Google Cloud or on Azure. And if you have, say, 10 out of 21 block producers hosting on Amazon, Amazon is basically one massive block producer and could shut that down at any time. Because yeah. if Amazon gets word that, hey, there's this competitor EOS that's taking money away from us, they're going to shut down those block producers in two seconds. I remember seeing them releasing like templates and stuff to launch like Ethereum nodes and stuff. Yeah, it's it's like point idea. and click. It make, makes it real simple. But you're just putting a decentralized node on a centralized yeah, system. You're centralizing so the decentralized system. Exactly. And and what's the point of this beautiful decentralized system if all of the servers are going to be living in one place under Amazon's so roof? So you mentioned investing in infrastructure costs. Yeah. So for us non-block producers, what type of costs are involved with even attempting to, to be a block producer? Because not everyone's going to be voted as one of the top 21 I think there's enough quality candidates that most of the quality ones will at least be backups yeah. for, for how many there are. But it's a huge risk to, if you don't get voted in. So oh, what, are, yeah. what are the upfront costs like and where, where are they going? And Yeah, I mean, at Cypherglass, we've put up somewhere between a quarter million and a half million dollars wow. for our infrastructure and DDoS protection. The DDoS protection was a huge part of that because... If you imagine when any new network launches, especially something as disruptive as EOS, there are other players in other networks that want to see it fail. They're going to be DDoSing, basically sending a bunch of fake traffic to your server to try to get it to go down. So we, from the beginning, realized, okay, we need pretty serious DDoS protection. So we went to the the best company in the world for DDoS protection, which is a company called F5. We signed them on for F5 Silverline. It's a huge amount of money a year, more than six figures a year just for that DDoS protection. But it will make sure that the Cypherglass block producer never goes down. Is that a Brock Lesnar's DDoS company? That's it. That's his finishing move's name. Really? In wrestling, yeah. His finishing <laughs> move before he before he beats someone's called the F five. Maybe, yeah. Maybe Smackdown. he's associated. I don't know. They do they do DDoS protection for even Amazon, for Amazon, Apple, these massive companies around the world to make sure that that they don't go down. Um, so we've signed them on, and we're pretty excited about that. So that that's you guys though so like let's say you are elected one of the 21 yeah so you have this type of protection but if if everyone else doesn't what happens if they get ddos so if the majority of the network goes down i think there's a kill switch where the network will go down and kind of reboot i believe it's if a third of the block producers go down it reboots but fortunately there are i would say 30 plus other block producers who have made a similar um, investment that we have in infrastructure. So what I would encourage all the voters to do is make sure when before you vote for somebody, don't just vote for them because you've seen their name a lot or you've seen them in the community. It, really, at the end of the day, this comes down to infrastructure. And if you vote for somebody that's on Amazon Web Services and then Amazon shuts down their block producer, it's going to be very bad for the network. There, there's EOS block producers you know of. You don't have to name names yeah. that are planning to run their node on a, a the, cloud. Ma- the majority of EOS block producers that have announced are planning and open about it are planning to run their infrastructure on Amazon or Google Cloud. So are, are they doing that to acquire the funds to yeah. to build the infrastructure physically? That's what it is, is a lot of these people don't either don't want to put up the money up front or don't have the money to put up, up front. So they're waiting basically for the network to pay them so that then they can go build the network. But from our perspective, it's a little backwards. Like you need to put in the money up front to build the network so that then the network is stable enough to reward you. So I guess I could chill for Cypherglass for a minute here and sure. talk about, like, uh, th- this is new to me. I didn't realize so many of them were, yep. were planning to start that way, and that that blows my mind. But it also makes sense because some of these companies are being bootstrapped. Yeah. So I, I think that's one of the advantages for you is that you built a successful company over the last year. ICO Alert, we are, we are very uh, healthy as a business. Definitely. And 
you've recently stepped away on a full-time base. You're still doing the podcast with me, but I don't see you every day anymore Yeah, uh, because you're busy doing yeah, these things. I'm, I'm full-time heads down with Cypher Glass. If, if you guys didn't know, that that's where I am. So I, I'm not on every single ICU Alert roundtable. I was on one that we recorded yesterday. It'll be out soon. And I'm not in the office on a day-to-day basis. I've kind of moved on completely to Cypher Glass. Um, but the reason why is just because it, it takes so much time to make sure that not only is the, the tech team building the right infrastructure, but are we interacting with the community? Are we you know keeping the community informed about this launch process, for example? Rob is, and I don't know people in real life who are into EOS as much as even me, but I mean, I'm in, I'm in all the uh, online channels and I see everyone else's like enthusiasm and involvement in this. And I don't think this has ever been announced publicly, but Rob has been into EOS since day one. He's uh, run ICO alert from April until about a month or two ago. And April, 2017. Yeah. And as as a cryptocurrency data warehousing marketing company, we get paid as a business in Ethereum or Bitcoin. And what we did as a company is we, we, we can, well, not we, but Rob and his brother Mike converted obviously a, a decent amount of that money into fiat because that's what pays rent and that's what pays your employees. Yep. But the, instead of holding Ethereum, and Rob <laughs> hates Ethereum, <laughs> so we, as a business, we would get paid in Ethereum yeah. on a consistent day-to-day basis, and Rob and his brother Mike would be buying EOS the entire time. Yeah. Well, if you think about it, our business model is very much, we because we're a crypto company, we obviously convert half of it into cash to pay our, our employees, make sure that we're stable as a business in case we see a huge crash. But the other half we've been putting in crypto, but I was very hesitant to put it in a crypto that I didn't believe in, something like Ethereum that I think is fundamentally flawed on so many levels. So we have been you know, gradually on exchanges converting into EOS as kind of our... Um, uh, call it like a crypto reserve fund or something like yeah, that. Yeah, because I mean, it's good to have a, a war chest of reserves. Definitely. And like, uh, it makes sense to have cash in the bank. And the business always did have cash in the bank, but the majority of the holdings would be in crypto. And it wasn't the majority because it started as the majority, it was the majority because you were on top of EOS from bef- like 50 cents on. Yeah. Um, well, even, yeah, with ICO at. 85 cents, then was trading on exchanges, and then all the way down to the dip at 50 cents, back up. The entire time, all the way up to 20 the meme, the meme is real where people say they're they're eating ramen to buy more crypto. The meme is very real. I was yeah. living that meme for a while. I mean, you, you told me, uh, I think the first, when I first started here at ICO Alert, it was around 80 cents and you were telling me about it. I was like, it broke a dollar and I was like, I'll wait for it to retrace back to a dollar. I ended up jumping in around two or so, two, yeah. two to three bucks, I think. Which I is still a great entry point. Um, amazing. Looking at it now. And I watched it grow and disappear and grow again. <laughs> it, it's, it's been a wild ride, but Rob, this is probably the first time anyone outside of ICO has heard about ICO Alert has heard about this, but Rob went all in on EOS a long time ago. He put the business at risk essentially. It, it paid off. It was a good risk. It was yeah. a cal- very calculated risk. I would say even if I mean even if that if EOS went to zero, the business would be fine because yeah, we've been putting halfway course. in cash. But my personal crypto portfolio was all in on EOS a long time yeah, ago. Yeah, I've 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 seen Rob's holdings, and I think the next closest one. But back the last time I, I saw it was less than a percent. I think. Would you have mana or something? Yeah, it was. I, I owned a bunch <laughs> of mana of and a bunch of land, and or something. yeah, I, I got rid of that to pay to pay the government their <laughs> uh, their taxation is theft. But yeah, I I think it's very interesting to note that, and it did 
payoff because it, it's gone up even at its lowest point since like the fall. Like it, it's been higher than the entry and it's been great for the business. It's been great for you personally. It's been great to allow our, our brand to grow and continue to do these podcasts. Yeah. And I mean, it, that alone really in a lot of ways funded Cypherglass also. That's what enabled us to make this quarter million to half million dollar investment in infrastructure to make sure that the EOS network is, is stable and can scale over time. That, that's, that's a great point. And yeah. I, I think that's one of your biggest advantages is you are not bootstrapped by any means. Oh, right. Between you and your partners, you you guys don't have to worry about uh, going all in on infrastructure costs and especially security. You're, exactly. You're going to be really huge well, on that. That's kind of the elephant in the room that I think a lot of block producers are ignoring. So a lot of people think that, oh, the network's going to pay us enough money to invest in what we're calling our phase three infrastructure, that multi-threaded and file storage infrastructure. But we really don't know that. It could come down to it where, let's say in November, file storage comes out and we have to make then a multi-million dollar investment into infrastructure that other block producers can't. We're ready to put up that money. So we're so committed to EOS that we're ready to put in more money above the money we've already put in to make sure that as these new software features come out, as file storage comes out, that we can support them and allow the network to scale. So let me confirm what you just said. You guys are prepared to spend, you say, millions with an S? Yes, with an S. If necessary. If necessary. If it comes out that, hey, you're going to need to run this massive file storage farm to to support all of these these IPFS hashes, we're going to do that. We're going to make sure that we are a block producer that's supporting this network because we don't want this network to fail. We want it to succeed more more than anything, honestly. Um, I can't wait to... I, I can't wait till these dApps start coming into fruition. So we mentioned the hackathons coming up this weekend. I, I guess I'll mention the winning pitches. So there's five teams that are going to be competing in this hackathon in Hong Kong on June 9th and 10th. I'll just read them off. It's, it, there's a project called Drops, and they're a nonprofit donation tracking system on the blockchain, hmm. a company called Armada. And they're doing drop shipping blockchain platform, I Respo, and they're doing certificate stored storage, uh, loan block, which is a peer to peer bank application, which we've, uh-huh. we've seen on all the other platforms. So uh, this is the first one that could potentially scale. Um, and then the one we mentioned last week, which is Be Social, uh, they're a blockchain platform that connects volunteers and commercial companies and nonprofits. So it'll be interesting to see what they come out with because that's just this weekend, man. We're gonna be seeing video updates probably as soon as Sunday or Monday. Uh, yeah. And one well, hearing about what they built, seeing what they built. I have a feeling that these, and don't hold me to this if it doesn't happen, but I have a sneaking suspicion that these hackathons are going to be live streamed in some way. I can't imagine that block one with the most boring live stream I've ever seen. <laughs> I don't know. They could, have, code. they could have somebody there talking about it. Maybe they'll take breaks, but I imagine for like the judging portion and for the presentation uh, the portion, awesome. like they're going to have this thing if at the very least recorded and posted later. Yeah. But I think they will likely have this live streamed and I, I can't wait to watch it. I hope it they recorded the it down rob I, I've, yeah. I've done and participated in like traditional hackathons <laughs> and i mean they're they're fun but they're a lot of work and you're yeah not really it's not, not something you want to watch not entertaining fair enough <laughs> but the video highlight will be great oh definitely <laughs> seeing dan talk about oh i don't know about this part of your platform but i like this i guess uh let, let's run I, I got a lot of notes here that we haven't touched on so yep. Uh, the bug bounty rewards, we mentioned them last week. Some some FUD was spread at an Asian uh, white hat security f- firm found a critical bug, and Dan fixed it in like a day and yeah. killed the FUD with his announcement. But there there is this guy named Guido. So on HackerOne.com, they're the ones that are kind of like managing the bug bounty program and alloc- like deciding on... I think they're working with Block One on it, mm-hmm. but it's just like uh, some infrastructure that does bug security for other software projects and they kind of manage uh rewards and one single individual named guido vranken 
actually racked up $120,000 in bug bounty. Oh my God. And I think I read somewhere he, he made $80,000 in a single day by finding these bugs. That's insane. It's, it's great. Yeah. Like, finding these bugs are essential. You, you think it's a bad thing because they found the bug, but it's the worst thing. If oh, no, they it's a great thing. If they don't find it's a, the bug. It's a fantastic thing where they found it, the bug. It's and a great opportunity. Now this guy made all this money from, from finding these bugs on block one. Yeah. I think he's going to put a little bit back in. I don't know. Yeah, maybe. It, it's crazy. 120,000 at 10,000 each. He found 12 quote unquote critical bugs that block one fixed. But uh, what I think might have happened is he like just uh, found himself into like a, a, a wormhole of bugs. Like one bug made it led, led to another, led to another, led to another. Yeah. I, I don't really know, but that, that's my assumption on it. Yeah, that's wild. Shout out to Guido. Yeah. Um, the EOS developer portal is now live. Uh, I think they block one posted that blog a little bit ago, uh, a couple days ago. Yeah. Uh, they're also hiring. Uh, did you want to read that one? Yeah. So they say they're hiring for positions, uh, for their developer relations team and a bunch of other jobs. Um, so the developer portal, if you're not familiar, is basically a portal with educational resources, other information if you are a developer. But for their, their hiring, they're saying Dev Relations is our interface between our core developer team and the wider developer community. It's essential that we have a dynamic, outward-facing infrastructure to help third-party developers become users of EOSIO and for the community to expand. So just kind of reiterating their commitment there to launch this developer portal, put out educational resources, and get as many developers as possible building on this platform. So that's one of the reasons I think... Uh, Things aren't really going to ramp up to like a, a super, super exciting uh, level until the community, could, the developer community can be educated on how to build on this yep. and the traditional developer community learning how to build on a blockchain because yeah. it just got a lot more simple. And we're, we're seeing all the block producer candidates and block one themselves and all the VC funds all investing in education. I'm not, did I mention uh, the Virginia... I'll just mention it now. So, yeah, I don't think he did. Uh, Dan Larimer, he he actually gave a talk at Virginia Tech. He's an alumni there, um, and he uh, Block One's actually funding a three million dollar investment into building an educational curriculum at Virginia Tech. Yeah, and Dan is leading that curriculum development. That's so cool. So once it's like, this is going to be the best curriculum in the world for blockchain, like education. Oh, absolutely. And once it's built once, there's going to be traditional educational companies coming in, making textbooks, things like that. And the curriculum could essentially be, be copied to other universities. I, I think that's what we're going to see over the next... It's going to take a couple of years, though. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. I think that initiative is... It, it's a testament to how forward-thinking Block One is. They're saying, you know, we need these developers, but instead of throwing a bunch of money at VCs, we're also going to uh, educate new developers. Because ultimately, that's where all the dApps in the future are going to come from, are these new college students, people launching startups, people who are really passionate about learning about this. And to your point, to do to, to create this educational curriculum at one university, it's going to be very easy to kind of copy and paste that to potentially every university in the country or around the world. So there's obviously a lot of stuff that's going to be happening after launch. We have education, we have developers, we have all these other things. There's one thing we forgot to mention before we wrap up, which is a new investment fund, uh, another one of the, the Block One VC partnerships. Official fund. Wow. Yeah, and it's from, uh, what's the name of the fund? Uh, SVK Crypto Launch. Right. And they claim that they're going to invest in projects that are building on EOSIO blockchain platform uh, with a focus on dApps for social media, data ownership, data control, technology platforms, supply chains, and logistics. Yeah, and this one's exciting that they actually specified kind of the verticals that they're going to go for. And, and it'll be really interesting to see what comes out of that. And I, I think it's a good time to wrap up. There's plenty to talk about, but um, right now we're just kind of waiting and seeing for the mainnet to launch. Uh, next week we'll be able to talk about the hackathon um, and 
since you just said something about, or we just talked about investment in social media, yeah, it was interesting on on the Telegram uh, this week because Dan actually confirmed what we've been speculating about with the social media stuff. Yep. So Rick. Uh, from EOS New York was asking if anyone else wanted to help with building a social media platform or a Steam-like application on EOS. And Dan did a direct reply and said, <laughs> besides block one, yeah. question mark. So, it, I mean, it's been confirmed over and over again. It's oh, like yeah. a, a open it's just, secret. It's so exciting to me that block one is going to become arguably the largest DAP developer. I mean, they have 10% of tokens to stake, to fund, to to power their DAPs forever. So the DAPs that they create with, with Dan kind of leading yeah. the charge are, are going to be amazing. And I think as far as a social media platform, they just need to develop the core of it. And then there could be developers building on top of that. That's yeah. the beauty of open source. It's just going to get better. Even though block one might build the core of it, there might it might spin off into 30 different websites that you can go to to use different social media platforms that all like share the same data and the same user base yeah but you get to pick and choose which one you like the best definitely um so that's a good time to wrap up yeah as a, a final note if you're interested in learning kind of launch status you can follow us at cypherglass at c-y-p-h-e-r glass b-p as in block producer on twitter we have a lot of updates there that we're putting out different infographics about the launch or follow us on youtube just search cypherglass and we'll come up you could also follow me personally on Twitter. I'm trying to build up my uh, followings. I, I have never made an attempt to do it, but my uh, Twitter handle is blockchainzack. That's Zach with a K. Nice. Please follow me if you want to uh, follow especially EOS News. I keep a pretty close tab on that. But uh, that's about it for this week, and we'll talk to you guys next week. We'll hopefully have some exciting news yeah. once again. Hopefully I'm, next time we're talking to you, we have uh, a mainnet live and maybe oh, the first yeah. few dApps. All right, and once again, I'm Zach Gall. I'm Rob Finch. And this is Everything EOS. ICO Alert maintains the only trusted comprehensive list of pre-ICOs and initial coin offerings. This Pittsburgh-based startup has grown to serve over 1 million users in less than a year. But how did it get started? Well, at first, the company was just an online tool for two brothers, Mike and Rob Finch, to keep a calendar of their favorite ICOs. After just a few months, the team has grown to over 14 team members and produced hundreds of ICO reports. These in-depth reports feature exclusive interviews and offer insight into past, active, and future ICOs. Head on over to ICOalert.com, meet the team, and use their game-changing My Portfolio function. Track your favorite blockchain projects. Become your own venture capitalist. Only at ICOalert.com.